0: When I say the word midnight, what, what thoughts come to your mind? What words come to mind? What do we associate with midnight? Probably, we, we, different thoughts are coming to our minds. One word might be darkness. Right? You think of midnight. That's the middle of the night. It's dark. It's if you're out and out by yourself. It's dark, and we think of darkness and. And you can't see what might be out there. There's an automatic kind of uncertainty about midnight. I wonder what's out there. And I don't know if like, if you're like me when I was little and taking out the trash during the daylight was no problem. My mom never asked me to take the trash out at midnight. But even like seven or eight when it started to get dark, all of a sudden, who knows what could be between our house and the trash can on the side yard. You know, what crazy animals. We were last year, we were on a missions trip in Tanzania, East Africa. And uh, one of the days after we had we administered for about a week there and we took a day and we went drove and we stayed at a tent camp in uh, in in a safari in a national park reserve there. And we were going to go on a safari the next morning. And they had to have one of their their uh, tribal warrior guy that would walk you to your Cabin and ours was the farthest away from the lobby. And they told us they said elephants come walking through here, Um, hippos at night will come walking through here. In the in the tent cabin, it's just canvas. In the tent cabin, there was a sign: certain months of the year, be careful in your shoes. Cobras can end up in your shoes, and all of these things. Well, we went there because we wanted to see the animals, right? And seeing the animals from and hearing the animals from a safari vehicle in the middle of the day. That's exciting. You pay to do that. Hearing those same animals while you're lying in your bed with just a piece of canvas at midnight covering you, not quite as exciting. Midnight, that darkness, it changes things a little bit. It changes the way we think. It changes our imaginations. It changes what we imagine could happen. But midnight, darkness, what do we also associate with midnight? Maybe loneliness. Midnight can be a lonely hour, can't it? Nobody else is awake to call, or to text, or to cry out to. We we sometimes think of, with midnight, uh, sleeplessness. If you're seeing midnight regularly, it may be a sign of sleeplessness, which is an indicator there's something going on in your life that is a burden. We think of maybe with midnight despair. If you wake up at midnight to a noise, what can immediately come? Fear. Midnight can be associated with fear. The same noise at noon sounds very different at midnight. My wife, you know, we wake up at midnight and she'll elbow me. Ryan, did you hear that noise? No, I didn't hear that noise. Other thing you're snoring, I haven't heard anything. So now, I'm just That's me, not her. I didn't hear that noise. Honey, go check it out. Go check it out. I'm just as scared as you are. You go check it out. And, uh, but sometimes in midnight, the middle of the night, fear can come. Tears often come at the midnight hour, don't they? When we're around people and going about our daily business, we can kind of keep it in, but you get into the darkness of the night by yourself, those tears can start to flow. If you're out at midnight by yourself, the word danger might come to mind. And we might think of some other words, but the reality is, there aren't a lot of great things we associate with midnight. Aside from December 31st, there's not a lot of righteous celebrations happening at midnight most nights. If people are out and doing things at midnight, often it's things that probably they shouldn't be involved in, they shouldn't be doing, and and nobody gets married at midnight, or very few people do. I've never been to a midnight wedding. Those aren't times that we think of as joy and celebration. And here's the reality. Every person in this room will face midnight hours. You'll face seasons of your life, times in your life of darkness of loneliness, of sleeplessness, of despair, of fear, of tears, of danger. Just this week, on the phone and via email and in my office and in people's homes, just this week, I've talked with Christians who find themselves at the midnight hour of grieving the loss of a loved one. Just this week, I've talked with folks that are in the midnight hour of deep heartache with their children. The midnight hour, I've spoken with some, they're in the midnight hour of fear for the future of their nation. What's going to happen for their children and grandchildren? The midnight hour of problems in their marriage? The midnight hour of job loss and financial insecurity? The midnight hour of despairing over a spiritual failure in their own lives, and the list could go on. That's just this week, the midnight hours of some folks that I know and love that I know they're going through. All of us at times will face those midnight hours, and as Christians, how should we respond in the midnight hour? I didn't prepare this message because of any of those conversations with anyone in our church or because of anything that happened on the news. I, I've known we were going to be here for three or four weeks as we started. In Acts 16, three weeks ago, we laid out the foundation of this entire chapter. But my message tonight, this morning is this In your midnight hour, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me this morning to Acts in chapter number 16? This is our third Sunday morning in this chapter of Acts. It's our 47th Sunday morning in this book of Acts, going verse by verse through this book of Acts, this history of the early church and the chapter that we're studying for those that might be joining us um, here for the first time. Acts 16 is the story of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul, he he picks up a new uh, ministry partner, Silas, and they head out on a missionary journey to go check on some churches that had already been planted, and to preach the gospel in some places that had never heard about Jesus. And God directed them over the water into Europe, and they go to Philippi, and that's where we find ourselves. We're in Philippi, in a city there in Greece, in Europe, and and, and Paul and Silas have been preaching Jesus, and some people have gotten saved. We saw the first convert of, in Europe, Lydia of Thyatira, that seller of purple, and, and people are starting to get saved, and lives are starting to get changed. And, and we see that th- this here, Paul and Silas are serving God. Here's the reality. Sometimes you and I find ourselves in the midnight hour because of mistakes that we've made because of bad decisions that we've done, because of wrong relationships or a, or, or, or a bad decision, a bad choice, giving in to a sinful temptation. And we bring heartache upon ourselves sometimes. But what about those times you find yourself in the midnight hour when all you've tried to do is live for God? All you've tried to do is be faithful to God's calling in your life. You find yourself in your midnight hour and and all you've done is serve God and obey God and live for God and tried to preach Christ. What about those that are suffering in their midnight hours, even though they've given their lives to Christ and surrendered everything to him? That sounds different than some of the popular preaching I hear on TV today. Wait a second, I thought if I gave my life to Christ, I would have my best life now. I thought that my life would be abundant in prosperity. And if I gave some money that I would get rich and I would have my breakthrough and all these key words that we sometimes hear. But I haven't had my breakthrough. I find myself in a midnight hour. What about that? I can understand if I had chosen to do X, Y, and Z that I would face my consequences there, but I've chosen to live for God. How could I end up here? Why would God allow that? just doesn't seem right to our human mind, does it? So, so are we justified then to get angry and bitter when we find ourselves in a midnight hour? And really the reality is while we haven't lived perfectly, we've tried to give our lives to God. That's exactly where we find what we find in this passage, Acts chapter number 16, verse number 22. Would you follow along with me? If you don't have a copy of God's word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. I'd encourage you to follow along. Acts 16, verse number 22. The Bible says, and the multitude, why was there a multitude? There was a big group there because Paul and Silas have been preaching Jesus. And Timothy and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. They stripped them down and say, scourge them, beat them. They haven't had a proper trial. The accusations against them are false. They've been lied about. All they've tried to do is follow Christ, verse 23. And when they had laid, notice that many stripes, a whole lot of pain came into their lives that was undeserved. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison. Now they have pain they didn't deserve, and they're in a place that they don't deserve. And when I talk about deserving, I'm talking about humanly speaking, you understand. They, they were falsely accused. They, they hadn't had a trial. They hadn't been convicted. They had pain they didn't deserve, and they're in a place that they, humanly speaking, didn't deserve. Charging the jailer to keep them safely, the official said, don't let these guys out. They're locked up. Verse 24, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And then notice the first three words. Would you read the first three words of verse 25 with me? Ready, begin. And at midnight. One more time. And at Paul and Silas are in a midnight hour. A time that's normally associated with pain. And by the way, they were in pain. Associated with loneliness, by the way, they were lonely. They, they weren't surrounded by thousands of people that loved them and church family they were in there with just a few of them by themselves being mistreated falsely accused lied about they find themselves in a place they didn't expect around people that they didn't expect all because they had sought to give their lives to god they were in darkness and that damp in those days their prisons were not like our prisons today it would very often it was a very dark and damp and dingy place very often it would be underground so that they couldn't climb out and and that's why you'll see paul would say bring my bring my coat to me they didn't have all of the rights the prisoner's rights that, that we might have today. They gave them very little to nothing there. And they were, they were in stocks and they're in pain. Their, their bodies are still undoubtedly bleeding and, and some things oozing out of those sores and bruises and maybe some broken bones. We don't know. Maybe some broken ribs from the scourging they had received. And they're in all of this darkness and fear and tears Loneliness, maybe some uncertainty. God, why would you allow this? you, You told us to go to Europe. We followed you. We went to Philippi. All we did was preach Jesus. And this is where we find ourselves in our midnight hour. Would you read verse 25, the whole verse aloud? Ready, begin. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. Church family, I want to, for a few moments, I want to give you five thoughts on what we should do as we learn from them in our midnight hours. Number one, may I say, don't lose your faith. Don't lose your faith. What does it say there? And at midnight, Paul and Silas, what church? Pray. What is pray? Prayer. Prayer isn't maybe one of the best evidences of faith. Because we're talking to someone we can't see, believing in power that we can't tangibly feel, and we're bringing our needs to somebody, uh, to a, more than somebody, to our God, but it's an act of faith. It's it's easy to start to question God when the darkness closes in around you, when loneliness and fear and despair is all you see. But Paul and Silas, their response was, and at midnight, they, they cried, and at midnight, they bemoaned themselves, and at midnight, they doubted God. No, it says, and at midnight, they prayed. What was, what is that prayer. Prayer is an act of faith. It shows their faith was still strong. God, you've still got this. It wasn't doubt. It wasn't bitterness. At midnight, they prayed, God, we still believe you're on your throne. As we heard Billy Graham preach today, we still believe you know what's happening. We still believe you love us. We still believe you're in charge. We might be in prison, and it's beyond our strength, but we still believe that you have all power over these governmental officials and over these prisoners and over these magistrates that have beaten us. And at midnight, they prayed. It's an act of faith. Faith, God, we believe you and that you are real. We believe that you are powerful. We believe that you can intervene. We believe that you know what's best. We believe that you are good. We believe that you have the answers that we need. Church family, if we, won't, if we don't pray in our midnight hour, what does that show us? It shows us that we don't really believe that God is who he says he is or can do what he said he could and would do. Prayer is an act of faith. Are you struggling today with a midnight hour? By the way, it was of the Lord. I didn't tell them what song to sing before the service. But what did we sing together? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace. Are you lacking peace today? We often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Church family prayer changes things. Prayer changes us. Don't lose your faith. In your midnight hour, number two, don't lose your, you see it there in verse 25, your song. It says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed in the next two words and sang. May I just say, church family, let music minister to you in your midnight hour. So many of you have mentioned or asked me about the song that I played in last week's message and told me how you've sung it throughout the week and you've played it and, and it's helped you and it's ministered to you. Church family, you and I, we ought to have in our lives, we ought to have music, good, godly, theologically sound, Christian music in our lives every day on the way to church today. Train I we were driving in and I turned on Pandora and we heard a song. The answer is Christ. And I almost tried to get somebody to sing it this morning, but it was too late and I was going to stress people out. But I wanted, I wanted you to hear it. Why? Because that song ministered to me. It talks about he is the hope for the hopeless. He is the strength when we're weary. The answer is Christ. Let good, godly Christian music minister to you. Yesterday, we were here for Leonard Young's funeral and there were six or seven different songs sung. Leonard loved music and he was involved in music. And why did the family choose to have so much music? Why? Because music can minister to your hurting heart. It is often in our midnight experiences that the songs become more beautiful more meaningful the words they're they're richer and they're deeper I've been told a typical concert piano has over 240 strings that when tuned and tightened create a pull of 40,000 pounds of pressure on the frame without the tension there would be no beautiful music and often the more the pain or tension in our lives the more beautiful and powerful the music is in our lives. When you don't feel like singing, sing. Often when people are walking through a midnight hour that I'm aware of, I'll text them a song or a few songs and and I'll say it because it'll minister to me. I did that last week with the young family as I was driving to the hospital to see Gina and Leonard and I texted Andy and Anna and Gina, that song that I played in church yesterday, last week. I knew I was gonna be playing. It was already in my message, but that was ministering to me as I drove to the hospital. And I, I thought it might minister to them music, good music in our lives is a help don't lose your song church talk to me now in your midnight hour number one don't lose your faith number two don't lose your number three don't lose your joy do you see it there and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang what praises pretty hard to praise God when you don't have the joy of the Lord what is praise? Praise is an outflow of God in the midst of my storm, in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my fear, in the midst of my long suffering. What they just said, he is good and his love endures forever. What is that? That that brings us joy. That, that's an, a reflection, an evidence of the joy of our hearts. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Church family, happiness is dependent upon circumstances, the external. Joy is deeper than circumstances. It's It's an internal thing that doesn't get manufactured in our own strength it comes from a rest in the providence and sovereignty of our God he is in and over all and I can have joy in the midst of heartache why because I know that it's that he is my strength the joy of the Lord is my strength joy comes from resting in Christ what did Paul say but none of these things, what things? I'm talking about a whole bunch of pain that was coming, suffering, midnight hours, imprisonment. You go back and read it, Acts 20. It's, we're gonna study it in a couple of weeks. Acts 20, what did he say? He said, all I know is there's some midnight hours coming up as I serve God. And then what did he say? But none of these things move me. I'm not gonna lose my joy. I'm gonna keep praising him, but none of these things move me. Neither count on my life dear to myself so that I might finish my course with, with what? With joy. Paul was determined whether in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Where was that written from? A prison cell. What did Paul say? In my midnight hour, Satan's not going to steal my joy. In my midnight hour, suffering's not going to steal my joy. In my midnight hour, other people aren't going to steal my joy. But none of these things move me. I'm staying firm and anchored to that rock which is above every other rock, that rock which is Jesus Christ. And I am going to stand firm and strong in the midst of suffering. I will not lose my joy, not because it's worked up in me, but because it's from him working through me neither count on my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy. I read the story of the Duke of Wellington, the British military leader who later defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. It's told that probably like many military leaders, he was not an easy man to serve under. He was a hard-driving taskmaster that, that, that those under his subordinates could almost never please him, could almost never do anything right that was worthy of his praise. In his old age, the story is told that a young lady asked him to the Duke of Wellington, what, if anything, would you change looking back on your life if you had to live it over again? Wellington thought for a moment, and he said this, I'd give more praise. Now, he was talking about those under him. But Christian, how many of us are going to get to the end of our lives and be asked, what would you do differently if you could do it over again? I'd give him more praise. I wouldn't just praise Him for the the things I like. I would praise Him for who He is and for all that He's done. I'd praise Him on the mountaintops and I'd praise Him in the valley. I'd praise Him when things are going well and I'd praise Him when I don't know what's going on. I'd give more praise. John Wesley's journal entry on April 21st, 1764, read of after he took a pastoral visit to a lady, he, he wrote this on that day in 1764. He said, I visited one, who was ill in bed. After having buried seven of her family members in six months, she had just heard that the eighth, her beloved husband, was cast away at sea. And I asked her, Wesley said, do you not fret at any of those things? She said with a lovely smile upon her pale cheek, oh no, how can I fret at anything which is the will of God? Let him take all besides he has given me himself. I love, I praise him every moment. What is that? That's some Acts 16, midnight hour stuff. In his midnight hour, he prayed and sang praises. Church family, don't lose your faith. Don't lose your song. Don't lose your joy. Praise Him in the shadows. Praise Him in despair. Praise Him in your midnight hour. Let everything that had breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. God, you are good. God, you are worthy. We sang that today. Is He worthy? God, you are my shelter. You are my peace. You are my comfort. Would you look at verse number 26? Notice what happened. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed and the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that, he had, that the prisoners had been fled. You have to understand the story of how these things worked and how these things operated uh, in, in those days. A prisoner, that, uh, that, uh, a jailer that had a prisoner in those days, if they let that prisoner escape, they faced the punishment that that prisoner would have received. So this shows us that the prisoner believed very likely Paul was going to lose his life. Paul was on death row according to what this, this jailer uh, believe because as soon as he found, or maybe there was someone else, that, that uh, another prisoner that was on death row there, but because the prisoners were gone, he said, I'm going to get executed. So what did he do? He pulled his sword out and he was about to kill himself. Now look at verse number 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying what? Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. What did Paul say in his midnight hour? Do thyself no harm. Who's he talking to? The guy that locked him up. The guy that put the stalks on his feet. The guy that made his pain worse. The guy maybe, we don't know, but may have been one of the ones that scourged Paul and whipped Silas. That guy that brought more pain to Paul's life, what did he say? Don't hurt yourself. Number four in our midnight hour church, don't lose your compassion. Don't lose your compassion. In the midnight hour, it's so easy to only focus on our needs. And I'm thankful for a church family that cares for others even as they are facing a trial, and folks that pray and give notes and help and support. And last week I was shocked, but I shouldn't say shocked, but I was uh, I was overwhelmed with gratitude. I made two announcements on Sunday morning and Sunday night. I just said at the door there'll be some offering plates if you'd like to be a help to the young family at this time with some of those final expenses. And this week we were able to take Gina uh, from the church, uh, a check worth for thousands of dollars because of the generosity of God's people. And then Kevin sent one email out to our school family and we were able to take another check for another couple thousand dollars from that. What does that show? There's a church family, a school family, folks around them with a heart of compassion compassion. But may I say, church family, when your burden seems too great to bear, look for someone else carrying a burden that you can help. Once you have experienced certain pain, you are more prepared to minister to others facing similar pain. And sometimes in our midnight hour, all we can focus on is how do I get out of this? And I believe that what, what would bring honor to God and what He would love is if we could focus on while I'm, I'm, I'm trying out and I'm seeking to keep my faith and praying and singing and praise, God, would you help me to help someone else in my midnight hour? Don't stop looking for those that are hurting around you because you're hurting. Sometimes it's in your pain that you can best minister to others. What am I saying? I'm saying, church family, don't waste your pain. Use it to help someone else find healing. Don't waste your loneliness. Use it to help someone else find comfort. Don't waste your midnight hour. Use it to help someone else find light. And in our pain, we sometimes become so inwardly focused when often the very best thing that you can do is to look for someone else you can minister to, you can pray for, you can give to you can help. And then lastly, number five, in your midnight hour, don't lose your witness. Verse 29, would you follow it along? We'll finish it up. Verse 29, then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, that's the jailer, and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's something different about you. I need it. Verse 31, would you read it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. By the way, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, if you're in the the midnight hour of the darkness of sin, that is still the answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. In verse 32, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. Church family, I've said it a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, but when Christians stay faithful through their midnight hour, it is a powerful witness to the grace and mercy of God. When people walk through trials and keep their faith and keep their song, that doesn't mean you can't cry. That doesn't mean there aren't tears. That doesn't mean you don't pour your heart out to God. That doesn't mean you don't come and say, I can't do this right now. Would you walk alongside me? The Bible says, bear ye one another's burdens. That doesn't mean you have to be super Christian that never has a moment of weakness. That's not what I'm saying. But when people see you as frail as you are and as feeble as you are, stay faithful to God and keep your praise and keep your song. It's a powerful witness to others did you did you see what it said back in what verse was that Uh, back in verse number 25 when Paul and Silas sang and, and prayed and sang praises it says and the prisoners heard them it was a witness to those around them they walk through pain differently than I do they suffer differently than I do what is it about those guys and when one of them was facing their midnight hour the jailer who did he go to all in silence. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Don't lose your witness. People are watching. Point them to Jesus. The name of Christ is glorified when believers suffer as their Savior did. The name of Christ is sullied when believers grow bitter in trials. We as believers should suffer differently than unbelievers, not because we are better but because we have a source of strength that is beyond ourselves. And so church, in your midnight hour, don't lose your faith. Don't lose your song. Don't lose your joy. Don't lose your compassion and don't lose your witness. Do you find yourself? Some of you I know about and others I know nothing of what's going on in your life. But do you find yourself in your midnight hour, in a midnight hour this morning? If you don't, as Paul said, I don't know all that's going to happen, but I know there's some midnight hours waiting for me waiting for me as I follow God. I don't know all that you're facing, but undoubtedly there's some midnight hours coming. What should you do in those times? Sing, pray, praise, believe, love, witness. And why can we respond like that as Christians in our midnight hour? It's because of the, our assurance and the truth of the verse that Paul wrote. Paul, the one who was at midnight singing and praying, wrote to the Romans in Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love god to them who are the called according to his purpose we as believers can stay faithful in our midnight hour why because we know that god can work all things together for his good is there a phone call that happened this week this month this year was there some bad news was there a heartache was there some things you watched on the news that caused you to wonder, how could this turn out good? And we know that all, th- that, God, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. All things. Church family, in your midnight hour, don't lose your faith. Don't lose your song. Don't lose your joy, your praise. Don't lose your compassion. And don't lose your wit. Let God work your midnight hour together for your good and his good and glory in his providence, in his power, for his purposes. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.